With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to Out of the Blue for Amazing Brew, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network. Podcast that modern dentists have no opinion on because they know better than to wander outside of their lane. I'm Jared Stormer of AmazingBrew.com. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, my hetero life mate, also of AmazingBrew.com. Andy, you geometrically perfect blend of both John Rambo and Socrates. How are you, sir? <clears throat> Sir, I am well. I am actually I'm better than well. It is the just the thick of fall preseason hype. We're getting clips every day. There's news left and right. There's sound bites. There's snippets. I can't get enough, man. I am thriving. How are you? Man, I'm I'm in the same boat as you. I saw you when we turned on the video. I have to take the belt off your arm, and I assume that it's just been clip after clip going straight into your bloodstream. And uh look, I I can't help it. I, I'm the same way. Uh how do you avoid not reading too much into like the little snippets that they put out this time of year. Uh, it's really a lot of things with evidence. So it's like you have evidence of Harbaugh, like name dropping people, which he did in the podcast with John Jansen this week, he named close to 60 players. So, you know, not all of them are going to be relevant, but you just look at the history, like how he talks about one person or how that position group performed when he was talking about them. A lot of times you'll find the answer somewhere in between in the pauses and the way he like phrases things with his cadence. So I think there's a way to dive in there, but it does take a nuanced listener. But you know, we've been doing this since 2015. We're pretty good at sniffing it now. 
Yeah, there was a lot to take out of uh, that podcast that Harbaugh did with John Jansen. Uh, go check that out if you haven't, or uh, believe we have a breakdown on Mason Brew of a lot of the important things that he said. But like you mentioned, he name dropped a ton of guys. And uh, the hype has really gone through the roof. A lot of JJ clips circulating online. I think that uh, that's reach a, reached a fever pitch. And Twitter, at least, has made up their mind on the quarterback debate. Uh, even if Harbaugh and company have not. But as we inch closer to this thing, I mean, by the time this comes out, we'll be about three weeks away. It's it's starting to set in. And my level of excitement has certainly gone up in the last couple of weeks. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I constantly run pretty much on close to a nine anytime just thinking about football because I'm weird. But yeah, we're, we're well into the 12s at this point. Like the season is upon us. We are 25 days. We are Hassan Haskin days away from the 2022 season. And the more I dive into it, the better I feel. I'm with you, brother. Uh, we've got a pretty fun one for you today. We're going to break this up uh, this week doing offense next week doing defense we're going to do some superlatives just kind of a different way to talk about this a lot of times we'll do like preseason awards postseason awards this is just kind of an, a new spin on that but we got some awesome categories uh, that I'm excited to get into and uh, without further ado unless you got anything else sir I say we get into this let's dive in all right first offensive superlative Make or break year guy. That means that's pretty self-explanatory. Who does it have to happen for on the offense this year? Uh, I had one guy written there in the doc. I don't know if you had somebody else in mind. I'm avoiding the doc completely. I'm going blind into this. I filled out my information yesterday I offline. I want to come into it fresh. So I'm going to give you my guy and tell me what you think. My make or break player is a guy that has never been a starter on this team. Um, the position group is loaded with talent, and I think this year it's got to be Trent A. Jones. I think this is either it or he's going to get passed up by Carson Barnhart or the new guys on the roster, uh, Gentry, Connor Jones. I mean, there's a lot of guys in the wings now waiting and moving on up. Uh, El Hadid's another one. So I think this is a make-or-break year for Trent A. Jones. That is so interesting because I went with the other guy that you mentioned and I said Carson Barnhart. And that's partly because you and I, when we went through this, we penciled Trente Jones in as right tackle. And I fully agree with you. If it doesn't happen here, uh, that probably means Carson Barnhart is that guy. But you forget Carson Barnhart is a senior this year. So I've got Carson Barnhart as my make or break guy. I think Trente Jones is a year behind him. So I think you have to put Barnhart ahead of Trente Jones here. I thought they were the same class, but I mean, either way, I know they're close in age. But with Barnhart, I think he's a classic case of too valuable to move right now because I think he can back up four positions on the offensive line where Trente Jones can only play tackle. So I think this is a strategic move to use Barnhart as that sixth lineman for the power sets and just to add more experience depth throughout. So no matter what, you're always going to have closer to your five best than if you would. You had Trente Jones like being the reserve and then a guard goes out. He can't move in, so then you got to move maybe an Atterbury or Crippen who aren't as good as Barnhart or Jones. What did you just say about Greg Crippen? You can revise that at any time. <laughs> Um, so yeah, yeah, edit that out. Yeah, we'll just edit that out. Uh, both are seniors. Yes. But the, the difference being actually, no, it looks like Carson Barnhart can redshirt for his freshman year if he wanted. Plus they both have COVID eligibility. So same amount of eligibility. So kind of both in the same boat, direct competition between those two. And the guy that doesn't win that right tackle job, 
um, might be on the outside looking in. Uh, I agree with a lot of what you said, though. There is that positional versatility that Carson Barnhart brings that maybe Trente Jones has. has. We just haven't seen that yet. So um, I think we were both kind of thinking the same thing there, and I like it going no doc. Uh, the next superlative, the PFF darling. We have one every year. Sometimes we have more than one. Somebody over at PFF is a huge Michigan fan. Apparently somebody that's pretty high up in, in that organization was a Michigan grad. Uh, but who is it this year, the PFF darling? Yeah, PFF's director of communications is a UM grad. So if you see the love out there and some good graphics, you you know there's a man there you know, holding it down for the victors. I'm going with a similar name from last year. He was all over the place. I think he's going to be littered again, and I'm going to go with Blake Corum here. I think he's going to improve as well. I think he'll be a better uh, pass blocker, added 10 more pounds. So now he's 5'8", just a complete bowling ball of a human, and I think that'll help him really round out his game. And he could be one of the five highest running backs in the country. Uh, I agree with you there. So long as Blake Corum's healthy, this dude is a bowling ball. I mean, he's got uh, he's just got a burst to him, too, along with being in that compact muscular frame. Super high on this guy, equally as high on Donovan Edwards, who also could probably be mentioned here. Uh, I'm going to go again on the offensive line, though. I think this is probably the best bet. And I think that's Olu Oluwatami, the transfer. Uh, I think that this is a dude that's going to come in and, and be right up there with Zach Zinter for best dude on the line just overall. And I think that PFF's absolutely going to love him at the center position. Extremely smart player. Looks massive in some of these pictures coming out of camp. Like that is a grown man. So uh, I'll, I'll go there, um, even though there's a there's another superlative I really like him for as well. Um, all right. I don't think it can be overstated that how big of an impact it is for Oluwatimi. Like you and I are both big Andrew Vastardis fans, but Oluwatimi is him. And last year, I believe he was top three uh, run blocking graded centers last year. So he could be the top graded run blocking center, which is great for Michigan, who is a run dominant team. Absolutely. And that's a pretty good lead in to what just happens to be the next superlative. And that's biggest upgrade. Uh, pretty, pretty obvious what that one entails. Who do you got for biggest upgrade? I feel like it has to be that. I feel like it has to be Oluwatimi. But uh, if I'm going to go for just a little bit more variety, I'm just going to say the return of Ronnie Bell at wide receiver because I think he can do right. things off the line of scrimmage with the ball in his hands that no other receiver can do as effectively or at least as proven as Ronnie Bell has in the past. I love that. Yeah, uh, that is that is a great point. And I had Olu there as well. That was kind of what I was insinuating. But Ronnie Bell coming back and being your number one is a massive, massive upgrade. So good point. Uh, imminent breakout. Who is sure to break out this year? It can't be avoided. Who you got? I'm going to keep it on the outside with this one. I'm going to go with Darius Clemens. He flashed all over the spring game. He came to campus, already built like a three-year uh, college starter, a massive freshman. They're very high on him. He can do a lot of things with his body that we really haven't seen done consistently since Nico Collins with his physicality. Like Cornelius Johnson, CJ is like a taller receiver, but he's not as thick in the middle. And Clemens is, or at least appears to be when on the field. So I think Clemens is an imminent breakout guy this year. Interesting. I have him for another category. Uh, I think that, you know, while we do like what we saw out of him in spring ball, it's just not enough. And uh, something Harbaugh said on the podcast about being easy to really pop in spring because it's just a couple of instances. How does he do here in fall camp when it's 
week in and week out going up against DJ Turner and the like. So I've got Andrew Anthony, who maybe you could say he already broke out, but it wasn't a monster year statistically for Andrew Anthony. He had the one great game against Michigan State where he put up some numbers, um, had the 93-yard touchdown, which was absolutely electric. But I think he's still a candidate for imminent breakout. I think he's too good to not get on the field, even with most likely having Ronnie Bell, Cornelius Johnson, A.J. Henning, and Roman Wilson ahead of him. I think you got to get him on the field. So I think you're going to see more bigger numbers than you saw last year, finding a way to get him the ball, a um, couple deep balls thrown his way. So I think he'll become a little bit more of a household name. I like that answer. I only disqualified him because of the six catch, 155, two touchdown performance uh, against Michigan State. But if we're going to just, if we're going to put that one game aside and go to your point of like, we didn't see it over the whole season, which we didn't, then no, I think you're right with AA. Right. Yeah. I mean, that one game did give me pause because that was like absolutely monster, but it was like that one. And then it, I mean, the rest of it was kind of so, 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 um, all right. Uh, next one, which is uh, kind of playing on who we just talked about there a little bit. Wait your turn, youngster. The young player that just won't be able to crack the rotation this year needs to wait a year or two. Uh, Tyler Morris, uh, wide receiver, played with J.J. McCarthy in uh, in high school a few years ago, then blew out his, I believe it was his knee, his senior, didn't get a play. He's been on campus. He was an early enrollee. He's still a four-star recruit, can absolutely fly. But I just think with the trio of receivers coming in, I think he's going to be one of the ones left out as far as like um, – as well as Amarian Walker, who is probably the, the tallest receiver, but he is very, very frail. So I'll, I'll give you two right there. I'll give you Tyler Morris and Amarian Walker. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, we were just talking about two guys that are both really young that we're trying to find catches for. So you go beyond Clemens and Anthony trying to find catches. I just don't know that they exist. So Tyler Morris is a good one. Uh, I'll go kind of similar route there and I'll go Colston Loveland just because the depth at tight end there's three guys firmly ahead of him um Carter Selzer as well as a guy that they're going to try and get the ball to so he's going to play ahead of Loveland as well they'll probably try to preserve his red shirt um his time will come I just don't know how much it'll be this year but probably will get to see him in the uh the three to four games so he can still preserve that red shirt but get him in because we're going to be up so big early in the season so I got Loveland but I like your Tyler Morris claim yeah, Loveland, it's, you know, he's been my guy for a while, but I'm with you. I think you'll see him in some <clears throat> some packages late just for that experience. But even like Joe Honingford as well is still around for his last year. So it's a just a very it's very much a log jam at the top of the tight end room. Yeah, most definitely. Um, all right, next next category here, the John Runyon Jr. Award for Quiet Excellence. The guy you expect to just go about his business, do an outstanding job, not really make too many headlines. I'm going to go with um, Zach Zenter, right guard on this, because I think he's probably the second most talented lineman now behind Olu. I think he's very dominant. I think he can get better in pass protection sets. He's very fast. And last year, keep in mind, he was injured for the majority of the year, always playing hurt, super talented and versatile. His Ohio State tape is amazing to watch, as is the whole offensive line for that matter. But Zenter really pops. So I'm going to go with Zach Zenter. Just game in and game out, if he's healthy, will be the quiet excellence on the line. Yeah, I, I didn't put him as quiet excellence because he's kind of noted as being the best lineman on the team. Um, but I, I'm totally with you. I think this is a guy that you can expect to just be there 
day in and day out, like his his history of showing up and and being available is also great. And, you know, he gets better with every passing day. I'm going to kind of stick with that theme and go with Trevor Keegan there, um, who we just haven't mentioned yet. And that's a guy that you're super high on. Trevor Keegan, like wouldn't take much for him to end up being the best or one of the best on this line. What what looks to be a really good line. Trevor Keegan is a massive, massive dude and can play either side of it. Uh, could probably kick out the tackle if you absolutely needed him to. I think he's going to have a big year. I think one of the biggest things for Keegan is he's actually dropped 20 pounds. So I think that's going to make him a lot quicker on pulls and pins as well in the interior. So I, I, cause last year he had to crack the starting lineup because they were still some just jostling with uh, Chuck Filiaga and Carson Barnhart. So I really think this is going to be a big year for Trevor Keegan. I'm with you. It has to be, could have also put him in there for make or break year, but He's, you know, he's an established starter. He's pretty well entrenched there. And uh, yeah, I didn't know that about losing 20 pounds. That is good. I mean, especially from the guard position, you like him to be able to get out and we got some speedy ones back there. So you're going to have to get on your horse. Next superlative, the Steve McQueen screen stealer for the guy that you can't take your eyes off of. Who you got? Donovan Edwards almost running away because he can impact the game in so many different ways. I mean, the Ohio State game, the one-handed catch, the Iowa game, the bomb, they just, oh, God, the throw. Everything he does, when he's on the field, he just immediately draws all your attention. When you and I attended the Nebraska, or not the Nebraska, the Northern Illinois game last year, and he got in the game and just immediately just started popping, just eight-yard run, and then he finally broke off for like the 50-yard touchdown, so... I think it's going to be Donovan Edwards this year. He could end up being the best running back on this team. And I don't mean that as a slight to anybody else, but he could be that special. We just don't get guys like this. That's what I keep saying about Donovan Edwards. He has the best it factor since Jabril Peppers. As far as players that I've seen in person, like Donovan Edwards just has this electricity that as soon as he touches the ball, you're like, well, that guy's more athletic than everyone else on that field. That's hands down. You're, you're totally right. I don't think it could be anyone else. Donovan Edwards is just electricity in a jar. Uh, just for the sake of parody, I'll say Andrew Anthony for a lot of the reasons that I mentioned above. I think that he's just a guy you got to find touches for, even if you're manufacturing those touches, even if you're giving him deep balls that are just one-on-one -on -one contests. Uh, he's extremely fluid, very fast. Uh, he's rocking the number one, too. So that looks really good out there as far as not being able to take my eyes off. Having the number one on the outside, that, that's a good look. I like the number one argument, especially with the history at Michigan. The biggest thing with Andrell is why you feel confident this season is because everything that held him back last year, there, it was nothing physical. It was just all mental. Like even his big touchdown against Michigan State, the first one, the 90, things, 94 yards, he, he ran the wrong route. Like he broke the wrong way in the coverage, misread it. So that's been his biggest issue. So if he can just put together that small mental piece, which a lot of people do from freshman to sophomore year, he could be poised for that huge screen stealing leap. Yeah, it's a pretty good miss when you run the wrong route and pull that off. That's uh, that'll that'll do. Uh, I totally agree with you, though. I think he's in for a big year. Uh, next superlative Ben Mason award for dude that would rather bury you on the field than see you tackle the ball carrier. The, the superlative for the blocker, best blocker on the team out in space. Come on. Yeah, Come on. I know. I was wearing right. his jersey the other day while I was writing. You know where I'm going. This man's an eviscerator of souls. 
Um, Eric All, the man who conceived child day after de- the night of defeating Ohio State, uh, expecting father into this month. Good for him. No, this is Eric All in a runaway. Easiest category. I put this category in there specifically for you. And uh, yeah, I, I, I'd be fine if every podcast from here till the end of eternity, we note the fact that Eric All conceived the child after defeating Ohio State. That's the coolest thing that I've ever heard of. Uh, I will worship at the altar of this child. He is our leader now. Yeah, this kid could be my quarterback, my head coach, my strong safety, my defensive tackle. No, Eric All's blocking is a religious, like, is is observed in this house as religion. That is what it is. I mean, it is something to behold. Just watch the Ohio State tape, watch the smoke. I mean, Eric All just, God, what what a player. Yeah, he absolutely is, and he is the best blocker in space, period. I'm with you. I don't even know who number two would be. Cornelius Johnson, I guess, honorable mention, a guy that can get out and block uh, at the wide receiver position, but it's a pretty big drop-off from Eric Hall. Um, All right, uh, let's take a second here. Got to talk about Home Field Apparel. Been with them now for a while out at Indianapolis. One of the best selections of college football apparel that you're going to find anywhere Delivered right to your door with a huge selection. They've got old school, new school. I prefer the old school stuff. If you browse through that library, you can find pretty much anything that you want. They got the hoodies. They got the T-shirts. Hoodie weather right around the corner. Absolutely can't wait. I'm about due for some more home field apparel myself. And you can get 20% off your first purchase when you go to homefieldapparel.com with the code MNB at checkout. All right. Continuing on the superlative, sir. The Ronnie Bell player you only saw coming if you were just guessing the most random player that you think is going to either make an impact this year or down the road. I'm going to go with one of the three fastest players on the team who has not really seen significant minutes yet. He's also added some weight this season to be in more durable shape. Uh, Jim Harbaugh speculated on him about having an impact on the special teams. As I would like to imagine it's on kickoffs. And I think he could have an Eddie McDoom role on offense as well sometimes. And that is Iman Dennis, name you haven't heard in a long time. But no, Dennis is an absolute flyer, rumored to be running around 4-2 right up there with the Roman Wilsons of the world uh, with just pure like speed. Kid's an athlete, and I think you're going to see him get some touches this season. Iman Dennis, name I haven't heard in a long time long time yeah that's uh that's a good one right there good good cut yeah that's he does have crazy speed i'm gonna go with another guy with crazy speed uh somebody that you mentioned in the wait your turn youngster category that's gonna be a marion walker um this is a dude that like he, he's got all the talent in the world super athletic he's just got to put it together probably needs a year or two but like he's could just be another andrew anthony darius clemens like they're really starting to recruit the receiver position well. So I'm just starting to trust these guys that they're bringing in. And he could be another one. Or even if they move him to the other side of the ball, just has a good frame to him. So uh, I like your Iman Dennis one, too. That was a good one. Another receiver we haven't even mentioned could be a guy to watch in this category is Christian Dixon. A true freshman last year kind of got swallowed up in the Andrew Anthony hype train. But, yeah, he is far from done. Like, his story is not written yet at Michigan. Yeah, Christian Dixon would start at Iowa. Like, Christian Dixon would start at Nebraska. Like, that's a really good guy to have, like, as your number four, number five. So we're absolutely loaded there. I agree. Um, All right, this next one requires a little bit of your participation, the little exercise. Best of the three. We're going to go through some uh, similar players that are kind of in the vein of some current players, and we're going to figure out where these current players rank. Uh, I will start you off with the first three, if you are ready, sir. Let's do it. 
Who is the best of these three players? Zach Zinter, Mason Cole, Ben Bredesen. You can- uh, ben Bredesen. We learned our lesson once with uh, being a two-time All-American, uh, consistent starter, never missed time. Like It has to be Ben Bredesen here. I'm with you. Um, there is some projection in some of this, obviously, allowed too. But I agree. It's Ben yeah. Bredesen. Lesson learned. All-American. Until somebody else cracks the All-American code, you got to go with Benny Bredesen on that one. Um, all right. You're up, sir. All right. Next one. We're going to stay on the offensive line here. Give you three names. Jalen Mayfield, Ryan Hayes, John Runyon. This is a John Runyon podcast. We named several of our awards after him. I mean, one of the biggest heel turns we ever did is when we realized how wrong we were about John Runyon Jr. Um, Mayfield, while he he did get the high draft pick from the Falcons there and looks like an NFL guy, uh, I just the consistency of Runyon, I value that greatly. Um, and Ryan Hayes, I know that's your boy, but until I see him perform like John Runyon did night in and night out, I've got Hayes a shade. Actually, I got Hayes third in this list. I'm a hundred percent with you. Like uh, Runyon was our guy. This was like one of like the most humbling moments of our podcasting career was after game one in 2018, when he was just a revolving door of awfulness. And then he went on to be first team, all big 10 left tackle and repeated it uh, the following year. So it's like, yeah, John Runyon has to have this one. Hayes could move up and overtake um, Jalen Mayfield here. But for right now, I think you have it right with him at third. Yeah. Dude's starting for the Packers now. Like that's a really good lineman. Yeah. He, he's he's proven himself time and time again. Uh, all right. Uh, next one. This one's coming to you. Amara Darbo, Cornelius Johnson, Jeremy Gallon. Kind of dissimilar players in size, but it's just who's the best? Who's the best college receiver? I'm going with Jeremy Gallon right now because he believe he's the last Michigan wide receiver to have a thousand yards in a season. And that's not nothing. I think he has the big 10 record for most receiving yards in a game. I think it's like 336. So until any other receiver has just one season on that level, I think that season holds enough weight for a career in this argument. I have to agree with you. Jeremy Gallon did some crazy things uh, during a weird period of Michigan football. And at times was like, you know, the only offense that we had. And I do think Cornelius Johnson is like super underrated and could easily put up seven, 800 yards this year and just quietly move into like the top 15 in receiving, um, in receiving yards or receiving touchdowns. Like it's, it's possible. Um, he, he's just really steady. Um, so I, I do think Cornelius Johnson or Mara Darbo, just not enough body of work, I would say. So I would put Cornelius Johnson second though. Yeah, uh, Gallon has the still has the Big Ten record for receiving yards in a game with 369. He had 39 consecutive games with a catch and recorded at least four receptions in 17 of 18 games. Like, come on. <laughs> what are we doing here? Yeah, he's uh, just below here. Braylon Edwards for receptions in a single year with 89 receptions in one year. Uh, third in career receiving. Yeah. As you mentioned, like, come on now, what are we talking about? It's Jeremy gallon. Yeah. It just gets <laughs> forgotten his dominance. It, and he did it all at five, eight too, which is crazy. But our next category moving on down three names for you, Mike Morris, who is six, six, 292 pounds, God. Chris Wormley and Tim Jamison. This one's a tough one. I, I had to like dig, dig back into my Tim Jamison uh, highlights to remember this one. Tim Jamison was super, super strong. But Chris Wormley, uh, first team, 
and uh, third third uh, round pick in the NFL draft. I'm going to go Chris Wormley number one, uh, Jamison two, and and Mike Morris third as of right now. Mike Morris could climb up on this list. You and I are starting to have some doubts creep in, and we'll talk more about it next week when we do the defense. But some doubts creeping in about Mike Morris being this dominant ten sack guy. Um, whereas Chris Wormley was night in, night out. Just you could put him inside, you could put him outside. Plus, first team All Big Ten. Yeah, unless Mike Morris is going to have an Aiden Hutchinson type season, I can tell you right now he's not going to overtake Chris Wormley on these li- on this list. He could catch Tim Jamison, but he's not going to catch Wormley um, for everything you just said. He could play inside, he could play outside, he could put up numbers, he could stuff the run, he could just do everything. He was one of the best. Michigan defensive lineman in terms of he could give the team what it needed. If you needed support and complimentary play, he could offer you that. If you needed playmaking, he could offer you that. And yeah, I'm, I'm glad you alluded to our Mike Moore, Mike Morris doubts. We will definitely get into that next week because they are prevalent. Yes, that is uh that is a topic for next week. But uh, Tim Jamison also did have a uh, five and a half sacks, uh, 10 and a half tackles for loss in his senior year. So not nothing. I mean, him and Chris Wormley, pretty similar players. So Morris could definitely catch that. But I, I agree with your take there. Um, all right. Next one coming to you, sir. Uh, this one fell to you. This is a really good one. A.J. Henning, Steve Breston, J. Hugh Chesson. Man, this one is this one is tough because I hold special places in my heart for each of these three players, but can't delude myself, can't like overthink it too much. So I got to go Steve Breston, number one, J.U. Chesson, number two, and A.J. Henning, number three, just because of Henning not being that guy yet offensively consistently enough as a receiver. He, he is the special teams threat, but the other guys could do both consistently, be the offensive threat, be the possession receiver, the big play receiver, and also a game breaker on special teams. And the Breston Chesson thing, it's close, but come on. It's it's Steve Breston here. Mr. Yeah, Steve Breston. It's Steve Breston, man. Steve Breston was so much fun to watch. Uh, I just go back and watch his highlights from time to time. Yeah, this is a fun one. AJ Henning doesn't have the stats to compete with those guys yet but I mean the fact that Harbaugh has come out and said that they're like designing things in the offense around AJ Henning being used in like jet sweeps and as a running back and like kind of how they use Debo Samuel and the amount that they really wanted to get him the ball last year like they love this guy I really like what I saw on rewatch um, I think that uh, what we saw in the spring game is like him being force fed a little bit I don't know you and I are doing a college fantasy football thing this year speaking of which we need a couple more players so Reach out to me if, if you want to play some college football fantasy. But A.J. Henning's going to get a lot of touches this year. So he could he could catch up to at least Jehu Chesson. Breston's a tough ask. Yeah, Breston is a tough ask. But if he's using that wide back role, that Debo Samuel, like hybrid running back and receiver, I mean, this could be a, a very special season for him. Yep, I'm with you, sir. All right, uh, you're up. Throw one to me. All right, next one to you. This is a fun one. I think it's pretty obvious, again, at the top, but the argument and the dissension in the middle is interesting. It is running back base, and the three backs are Mike Hart, Blake Corum, and Chris Perry. This is so hard. Um, Even at the top, because, I mean, Chris Perry, Pete Chris Perry was a monster, um, and Mike Hart was behind just an all-timer of an offensive line. But it's Mike Hart. Um, I'll go Mike Hart still. I mean, what he did at Michigan. But Chris Perry, I mean, 1,600 1600 yards that senior season, just absolutely massive. Like, what he would do behind this offensive line would be so much fun. Um, Corum can catch Perry this year. Blake Corum is 
100% your lead back. Edwards is going to get a ton of touches, but I think Corum's going to be your every down guy. So, I mean, 1,200, 1,400 yards, very much in play. And once you do that, like, yeah, you're going to start catching up to these guys. It's just a little bit different of an era. So, like, I don't know that anyone's ever going to catch Mike Hart. And Chris Perry also, like, when you're just looking at total stats, these dudes, like, it's like 5,000 yards and stuff. Running backs just don't want to put that kind of wear and tear on them anymore. But just for, like, one season, what Corum could do this year, like, yeah, he could be as good as either of those guys ever were. Yeah, he can definitely reach the peak. I don't, yeah, like you said, it's going to be really hard to ever have the career that Mike Hart did because football just really doesn't work that way. Maybe if Donovan Edwards explodes as a sophomore and like can do it catching and running the ball, he could have a chance. But yeah, it has to be Hart one. Chris Perry at two is very solid. I mean, he was fourth in the Heisman in 2003. Like, I mean, he was just an absolute stud at his peak. So I think, like, that's, like, what Quorum could aspire to be. But, again, he's going to have, like, this new style of offense where Donovan Edwards does exist. We'll be taking touches from him in this offense. And he's got to stay healthy. But he has the electricity when he is healthy. I mean, just watch Washington last year. Watch the end of the Nebraska game. Watch him on a bum ankle still take the edge against Ohio State or take one to the house against Iowa, almost limping down there, but still running all bit of a 4-4-40. So, no, Quorum's a stud, man. But this running back list, this was a tough one. Yeah, for sure. That was one of the harder ones. And uh, last one, also not easy. Uh, Mozzie Smith, Willie Henry, Mike Martin. Oh, man. I, oh, God. This is tough. I am going to go right now. Um, I'm going to give a little love for the new guy, though, Mozzie. I'm going to stick him right in the middle here. I'm going to put Mozzie Smith at two. I'm going to put Willie Henry at three because he was only getting to that point his junior year in 2015 before he left. They never could take it over the edge. And I'm going to go right now Mike Martin, number one, because, I mean, Mike Martin was just a dog, dog of a dog. So he's got to be one here, Mozzie two, Willie Henry three. I think that's correct. If you threw Mo Hurst on there, does it change up? Mo Hurst over Martin, probably a little bit, a peg over Martin. I, I could see the argument there for either one. I I feel like I'd go Martin just for the career, but I'm not going to fight you if you put Mo Hurst over him. I'm with you. All right. Of these guys uh, that we mentioned, because we didn't really pick any of the current team as the best of the group. Granted, we wanted to make it difficult and we're comparing them to like all time greats. Which of these guys do you think is most likely to surpass the other people in their category? Oh, I love this. And I think it's pretty clear. I think it's Ryan Hayes in that group because I think Jalen Mayfield, I think he can catch pretty easy. Runyon's going to be a tough get, but I think he can get there. Like Having Zinter catch Ben Bredesen is just so tough with a two-time All-American. CJ catching that gallon season is going to be tough with all the competition he faces in his own room. Um, Mike Morris. We'll we'll get more on that next week. <laughs> AJ Henning, just the career of Breston is tough, and we already touched on Hart as well as uh, Mike Martin. But that's a, that's another one actually. Mozzie Smith, that's he fine. could really go after a good year to catch Mike Martin. So I'd say either Mozzie or Ryan Hayes. That was mine. I think it's Mozzie Smith if I had to pick one. I mean, he's right there talent wise. Uh, it's tough to rack up like a bunch of sacks, but I don't think Mike Martin went crazy on sacks. He was our best pass rusher in that 2011 year from the interior. I think he had like four and a half, five and a half sacks, uh, but he was he was disruptive. But Mozzie Smith could have a similar impact this year. But uh, yeah, I, I agree with you on Hayes, too. I bet he'll be taken higher in the draft than Runyon was. That part, I think, is very reasonable. Uh, whether or not he's like a better all-around tackle when it's all said and done, we shall see. I think they've got Runyon playing on the inside in the NFL, though. That's kind of where he belongs. 
Yeah, he was just an all you know all Big Ten left tackle. No big deal. Right. Can go right. on the inside the NFL. Yeah, that's just just what he does. All right, uh, almost done here with the superlatives. Then we'll take a break. Uh, trade idea. Uh, can be within the Big Ten, can be outside of the Big Ten. Where does this offense need just a little bit of help? Where would you focus a trade, and do you have a player in mind? This was tough because I feel good about uh, a lot of parts of the offense. I'm going to kind of harpen back to my make-or-break player, Trente Jones, and we're going to keep it in conference for this one. We're going to trade for one of the best tackles in all of football. Peter Skronsky of Northwestern is just an absolute bulldozing uh, bulldozing tackle, can do everything well. You put him here on the edge, that is just going to immediately make everything better, and any like perception of having one weak link is evaporated. And it's going to take a high ask because Peter Skronsky could be the first tackle taken in the NFL right. draft. He is that good. So you got to pay him something good. And there's a good thing with Northwestern is Ryan Helensky, a quarterback, sucks. So here's Cade McNamara. Uh, ooh, that is a little spicy. Uh, you might still have to give them a little bit more because they're like, oh, great, you're giving us your backup. I mean, which isn't the case, but uh, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, we could throw in some receivers. We got a lot of receiver help there. Yeah, I, I'm giving them a Big Ten championship winning quarterback that can be there for another year, help, you know, lead the program back, give them a solid voice in the room. Um, they did have Hunter Johnson, who had transferred from Clemson to Northwestern, but is now back at Clemson because moves like that happen in present-day college football. But if they want somebody else, I'm not I'm not against giving them, you know, a CJ, but I'm not going to overload it here. Come on now. It's Peter Skronsky. I like it. I was looking at something similar, and I was looking at a team like Mizzou, but I think Northwestern's a good one to target because they need all sorts of help. So does Mizzou, but uh, that's a good one. So I'm just going to get on top of that rather than give my Darius Robinson one. And mine was going to be just for receivers. So we were thinking alike. There's not a lot of weak links on this on this offense. That's why that was kind of a hard one. Now, next week when we do the defense, I think that'll be a more interesting topic of discussion. Um, all right, last superlative, sir. Pick your offensive captains. So are we going to assume there's four captains for the team, two offense, two defense? Yeah, most likely. Let's do that. So pick your two. Okay, uh, I'm going to have one offensive team captain. It's going to be a repeat of last year. There's no way you can have a list without him. That is Ronnie Bell. Been one of the leaders on this team, so Ronnie Bell is a lock for the uh, for one of them. The other one, there's an argument, but I'm going to go with Ryan Hayes. He was featured at the spring game as one of the captains. I think he really leads that offensive line room, so I'm going to go with him. But, of course, it was very tough for me not to go with my boy Eric All, who did represent the team at Big Ten Media Days. Yeah, uh, I agree. Ronnie Bell's for sure on that list. Ryan Hayes makes a lot of sense. It just gets so murky with, would you make Cade McNamara the guy and then, you know, by week four, turn to JJ? Or do you make Cade the guy and does that mean you have to stick with him because he's your captain? I mean, or do you make him the captain so that way if he does get demoted, he still has a role on this team? It's a fascinating discussion about, do you make Cade the guy? I agree with you. I think you go Ronnie Bell, Ryan Hayes, just remove that from the discussion. Blake Corum's another name. I mean, that's a guy that seems like a leader out there, but I think it'll be Bell and Hayes. I think, I think you got that pretty well honed in. I mean, if, if there's one thing you and I have a pretty good, like thumb on the pulse for, it's like team captain and who, which, wh- how the players feel about certain people in this group. Uh, one thing I wanted to throw at you here for offensive superlatives I read an article over the week, and I learned that uh, Carter Selzer's nickname is the Sheriff. 
and he just like has like a burning hate for all Michigan rivals. Like even a former walk-on earned a scholarship and now playing more and more walks around with just like a gritty mustache referred to as the sheriff and hates the rivals with a passion. Is this our new favorite player? Well, he certainly just rose up in the ranks. My God, that's that's my kind of guy. Can we get this guy like a six shooter and a and a, a ten gallon hat? <laughs> I feel like he rides in the practice that way. So there's definitely needs to be. Uh, I think during the bye week might be a good nickname pod because every time Ronnie Bell scores, I just want to scream for whom the bell tolls and things like that. I absolutely love that. The sheriff. Yeah, we need to get him an NIL deal with like a chewing tobacco company or something like that. Something very rugged, you know, like Wrangler jeans, Carter Selzer, the, the sheriff. There's something there. Oh, um, one more thing before our break. Do you have a wall you can run through if I if need be? Uh, yeah, I always keep one handy. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Ronnie Bell last week during an interview, they asked what his goals were for the season. And he said, dominate. Like, all I want to do is play and all I want to do is dominate. Oh, my God. Gee, I'm having such a difficult time figuring <laughs> out whose jersey I want to buy. Because, like, you'll just tell me something. It's like, well, now Carter Selzer's in there. Now, that would be a deep cut jersey. <laughs> a, a Selzer, a Carter Selzer jersey. Like, who is that? So, yeah, he had one catch, uh, 2022. You remember it? Game was over. It was completely inconsequential. <laughs> was uh, That'd be awesome. You and I both just rocking tight end jerseys. Yes, I love it. Was Selzer the guy that like kept having his first career catch overturned because of a penalty? Yes. Yeah, it was him. It kept getting overturned, and then he finally got it. But now, dude, he's put on more weight now. So he's put on like another like, like 12 pounds. So he's like 6'8", 250 now. I love it. All right. Well, we just did a minute and a half on Carter Seltzer. This is my kind of podcast. All right. Let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to keep on moving through our season preview. Things get real. Uh, it is it is rivalry podcast when we come back after the break. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. All right, welcome back to Out of the Blue. We are continuing our season preview, breaking it down for you. Uh, where we left off last week in the middle of October, uh, we take on Penn State. Penn State at Michigan on the 15th. This is uh, probably the stiffest test after Iowa, although you and I have historically been pretty low on James Franklin. I don't think that's going to change in our analysis here today. No, it's not. Uh, I'm very low on James Franklin as a coach. I think he's one of the best pure recruiters in the country. Like he gets talent there. He attracts it, but he does not develop it. And we've been down on him, even when he was having success early on at Penn State. And now they've kind of like regressed back to mediocrity. You and I have not quieted down about it. 
No, I mean, we weren't buying it when it was happening early on. We bought Saquon Barkley. We're like, yeah, he he got Saquon Barkley in there. That guy's elite, and that's really what did us in uh, that year that they blew us out. And then in all the other games, I mean, you think about the uh, the finest hour, the Ronnie Bell dropped catch. Like, I thought we were the better team. That, I think we've been the better team every year except for maybe the Saquon Barkley year where they housed us. They're 11-11 in their last 22 games. They went 2-6 and six to end the year last year. I mean, and that's after that Big Ten Championship Rose Bowl stuff. They've they've really returned to mediocrity so much so like if this were Jim Harbaugh doing that 11 11 his last 22 games. Can you imagine the the fervor around that? If that were Jim Harbaugh, it's just not being talked about with James Franklin and Penn State. It's at least not loud enough, and it's very strange. Yeah, if this happened to Harbaugh, the Barbarians would be at the gates. And not to mention last year, Penn State lost that wacky game at home to Illinois. I believe it was in eight or nine overtimes. If Michigan lost at home to a team as bad as Illinois last year, I mean, Harbaugh probably would have been ousted. I mean, just no way around it. Like, that's an unacceptable loss, and James Franklin just keeps having life and somehow keeps having his name just thrown around in coaching searches. Yeah, just got paid too and extended and is getting tossed around in coaching circles strictly because he's able to recruit. Um, I mean, the dude just flips off fans, seems completely unlikable, definitely a bad hang. Um, Nine overtime game last year, which is an abomination to all that I hold dear in my life. And you still lose at home in the best stadium. Like, I mean, arguably the best stadium in the country. You can't find the juice to win one of those overtimes. It was it was an absolute abomination. Their whole year, I thought, was a joke. Um, but let's let's break them down. I mean, they're still Penn State. They still recruit well. There still is a lot of talent, and you can still get caught by them. Uh, really thankful that this one's at home because you know you just never know when you go to Happy Valley. But their offense was really mediocre last year. It was just it was 376 yards per game, 25 points per game. And I think Sean Clifford is like if you get if you shot Shea Patterson with a tranquilizer dart. That's a great way to describe him. And last season is just kind of like the prelude to this season in terms of what it's going to be for Clifford. He's going to be running for his life, making wily veteran decisions, but he's limited athletically, can make plays occasionally with his legs, tends to make the right decision throwing the ball, but is not offering too much in terms of playmaking. Doesn't get a lot of support from his running backs. They had a super talented room last year, but they couldn't do anything behind the offensive line there. So with questions persisting on across the front there, I think it's just going to be more of the same, especially without the steady hand of Jahan Dotson helping you out. I totally agree. And I maybe am being a little harsh on Sean Clifford because of some things that you alluded to. His offensive line was not good. It probably won't be that great again. They have a guy named Juice Scruggs returning at center who sounds like he probably was like a henchman for Bumpy Johnson in Harlem in like 1949. Uh, They've got a right tackle pretty well set. And then it's just everybody else is up for grabs. They were the 118th best running game. And like they were just awful defenses were always in their backfield. They were 97th in the nation in red zone offense. So like if that doesn't improve and they can't figure out a way to a run the ball and B protect Sean Clifford, I just don't know how it's going to improve that much this year. Like the, the potential is there for Penn state to really tumble pretty quickly, even though there's talent all over the place. 
Rams. Exactly. And with Franklin leading the way, you don't feel confident that they can overcome these talent losses when it comes to like you need players to develop and step up within the system because he's getting these highly rated players there, but not turning them into anything. It's great if you have four or five stars, but I mean, if you can't block a, a, a zone running scheme or gap responsibilities consistently, you know, or know your asshole from a foot in the ground, then it's a lot different. This reminds me so much of what we were seeing with Brady Hoke towards the 13, 14 season. It's like, man, he's bringing in good dudes. And on defense, like we're pretty sound. And I'll touch on the Penn State defense here, which is a strong suit for them in a moment. But it's the on the offensive line like that was Brady Hoke's Achilles heel. He could not develop that. And because of that, nothing would work on the offensive line where you compare that to Harbaugh. And I've got a piece coming out probably next week talking about what they do on both sides of the line of the lines. They've built this thing out at Michigan from the lines outside and Penn state has not done that. I mean, on defense, yes, they've been putting dudes into the NFL. No doubt about it. They're, they're doing well at defensive end, but on the offensive side, they just can't seem to develop like a really steady, sturdy offensive line. And, that is like of all the places you want to have deficiency, that's probably not the place. I think you'd rather have like a deficiency of wide receivers and make that work, but it, it's going to be really tough to overcome that. And um, yeah, I, I just don't know that this is the year for him to do it. And uh, I mentioned the D there though, and wanted to touch on their defense, which is solid. They only allowed 24 points, more than 24 points twice tied for six in the country in scoring defense. They were no, they were very solid. They showed their stoutness against Michigan last year, like until that game breaking play, like with the strip sack on uh, Cade and everything else. They were very stingy. Uh, they did their play several pieces at each level, and they're bringing in a new scheme this year with Manny Diaz. So there's probably going to be some learning curves and bumps in the road, especially like, like I alluded to just now with the players they have to replace. So it's going to be interesting to see how they come out of the gates. Yeah, most definitely. There are some guys in the secondary. Joey Porter, uh, I believe the kid of Joey Porter. I'm not I'm not positive. Yes, I think yes. it's Joey Porter Jr. Yeah, so he's a star. Uh, obviously, Joey Porter was a beast. That makes me feel old because I definitely watched Joey Porter quite a bit. Uh, Jair Brown, returning tackler with 74 stops. He's in the secondary. So I do like some of the pieces on their defense. I mean, if they're going to keep this thing close, how, what do you think the Penn State game plan is to attack Michigan when this is going to be a raucous Michigan crowd? Um, potential for it to be a night game, maybe? It is a night game. It's already announced. It is. Oh, it's already announced. Okay, I thought so. I thought that it was this and Hawaii, but I wasn't positive of that. Uh, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, more along the lines of what I'm thinking of. Uh, it, it's honestly, you have to take away Michigan's run game offensively, make them one dimensional. I don't know if they have the pieces to do that. So I think it's gonna really going to be turnovers, try to take the crowd out of the game and operate on short fields. I think that I think you're spot on there. They're going to have to try and get the ball out of Clifford's hands quickly. He is pretty nifty running the ball. If you go back and rewatch uh, versus Penn State last year, which I know you and I have done several times, he does make something out of nothing quite a bit like that. In that way, he is kind of like Shea Patterson. But Shea Patterson and Sean Clifford also will sometimes scramble when they don't need to scramble and could just sit there and there is more time to be had. So if he has time, there are some weapons there um, and they, they could improve, but that it's all going to hinge on that. 
if it doesn't improve, I think Michigan's going to be in that backfield all night long. That that crowd is going to be right on top of them. It's going to be super loud. Man, now I want to go to this game, too. I might have to just go to like five games this year. I, I just want to go ahead and put this on record. Like, I cannot stand one of my friends making me be in his wedding on this day. I was going to go to this game, but I can't because I have to be there in the presence of their love. So I'll be there during this. The wedding's at four, though, so I'll be able to watch the game, but I can't attend. But, man, this is uh, number two for me on the list of games I want to go to this year at the big house. Man, I don't think that I'm out of pocket when I say we all wish nothing but misfortune on them and their marriage. I'm not. I'm just kidding. No, you're 100% spot on. I'm going to be wishing it while I'm there. (laughs) That is ridiculous, though, of all the games. Like, if you want to do it for Rutgers, fine. All right. Well, that's one thing. But, man. Penn State night game because yeah I mean now my brain my brain's thinking the wheels are turning I may have to be at that one but uh all right man for this game who do you got as key players for Michigan um key players I'm gonna go with um, Donovan Edwards Blake Corm the running back duo here really getting a good balance because this was right before Donovan Edwards really broke out the ne- the next week against Maryland Corm did not get a play in this game with sidelines so I'm looking at both of them to have a big one and defensively, I think it's got to be on the edge. I'm going to go with either like Taylor Upshaw, TJ Guy, one of those just rotational ends, just getting some big plays, causing havoc, and just making life hell and forcing Clifford into bad throws and mistakes. And as far as the spread, I know we're going to talk about it. I think you got to go Michigan double digits here, especially being at home and the question marks surrounding Penn State right now. That could change throughout the season. But as of right now, I'm going to go Michigan by 13. Wee, that's a big spread. That's interesting. Um, I like some of the players that you threw out there. Surprised you didn't throw this one out, and I'm putting him in there for sure. Eric All, baby. Uh, let us not forget what he did on a snowy day last year in, stay, in, uh, in, in Happy Valley. Went into a pit and slayed a lion. So uh, I, I'm hoping for like another performance out of Eric All in this game. You're absolutely right. Like We're going to want to run the ball right down their throat. Um, I, I mean, it's going to be at night. We're going to want to just take away momentum, let our defense eat. You're totally right uh, about the about that on the defense too. So I'll go just one different name there. I'll go Chris Jenkins, um, a guy that we're you know starting to get a little bit higher on. Did a lot last year, and uh, I think that he's going to be a great rotational piece. But I think you're totally right. This is going to be a defensive line heavy game. Thirteen's uh, a little rich for my blood. Uh, I, I mean, it totally depends on what Penn State does up to this point. I don't have their schedule pulled up, so I don't really know. Like, if they're undefeated up to this point, it's not going to be that high. Uh, but if they already have two losses, yeah, it's going to be at about 13. Uh, I could totally see that. It's a huge, like, talent gap in, like, what we're good at and what they're good at. It's not a good matchup for them. But that's a r- little rich for my blood, so I'll say uh, – We'll say seven and a half. The last two times Penn State's been to a big house that had fans was 2016 and 18. And the scores of those games respectively were 49 to 10 and 42 to 7. <laughs> I, I know it. Oh, don't I know it? I, I But they've kind of leveled out and they've been a little bit closer the last couple of years. Not at home. I mean, the only other home game was the uh, COVID year, which doesn't count for anybody. No, that's true. That's true. All right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you might be onto something there. Well, if it is seven and a half, then I may have to throw some money on it. But uh, we'll see. This one, like, because it's so deep into the season, it's getting harder to predict these spreads. Like, Penn State could get hot, and then that completely changes it. Or they could be a total dumpster fire. You could convince me of either 
with Penn State. So um, yeah, in twenty nineteen, right. in twenty eighteen, they were uh, six and three and seventeenth in the country, and we just smoked them. Man, I do really like beating up on them. I hope that we can be the ones, uh, much like we did with uh, D'Antonio, uh, uh, D'Antoni. God, I always, I always mess that one up the first time. Oh, yeah. I hope we can be the one yes. to end to end his his run. Oh God! Gets fired Go down there Michigan. on a snowy day, then shut the door yes. behind him on the way out. Oh my God, that would be lovely. That would be poetic. I mean, our podcast would probably go on for three and a half hours if that happens, and I would savor every minute of it. Say we're on pace for that tonight. We're not even that giddy. I know. <laughs> well, we're getting into the meat of this thing. Speaking of the meat of this thing, uh, we've got Michigan State, but uh, before that is a bye week. Uh, Michigan State will be October 29th. Or it's, no, it's the 31st. We'll be there. That's as good as it gets. But uh, since there is a bye week in there, let's take a little break. Support for Out of the Blue is brought to you by Manscaped, who is best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Their products are precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Their performance package, the Ultimate Men's Hygiene Bundle. Join over 5 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code MNB20 at manscaped.com. If my math is correct, that's about 10 million balls. Look, as someone who himself is not dissimilar from a noble forest state when it comes to the scraggly nature of their nether regions, I understand the importance of a good and a safe trim. And the Performance Package 4.0 has arrived, and it is a game changer. Inside this package, you'll find the Lawnmower 4.0 Trimmer, the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a Travel Bag. The Lawnmower 4.0, first off, the trimmer of the future and grooming. Dare I say the greatest ball trimmer ever. Their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to the advanced skin safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 is waterproof and also has a 400K LED spotlight should you need a more precise shave. Because this trimmer is waterproof, you can say goodbye to the mess on the bathroom floor. You thought that was good, but want to take your grooming game even further to the next level? The Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Weed Whacker Nose, Ear, and Hair Trimmer. Weed Whacker is also waterproof and provides proprietary skin-safe technology, which helps reduce nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate nose holes. Their Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner will change the way you approach your hygiene routine. Trust me when I say this, fellas, your balls will thank you. Manscaped even threw in a free gift to their Performance Package 4.0, the Manscaped Boxers and Shed Travel Bag. Bring your comfort and boxers to another level. Time to take care of yourself. Go to manscaped.com and get 20% off plus free shipping with the code MNB20. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code MNB20 at manscaped.com. 20% off shipping and at manscaped.com. Use the code MNB20. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. All right, coming back uh, after the bye week, we've got Michigan State. We're going to really dive deep into this one. But first, I want to get your thoughts. How do you feel? It is the 29th, not the 31st, by the way. Thank you for that. How do you feel about uh, bye week into Michigan State? It does usually fall sometimes around then. Uh, we have some kind of differing opinions on when we like the bye week or if we like it after a challenge, before a big challenge. What are your thoughts on on how this falls? 
I think it falls at a good time this year. Normally I'm anti the bye week before a big game, but I don't think in this case they're going to be sleepwalking through the bye week knowing Michigan State's there and knowing what happened last season. If last season we'd eked out that win over the Spartans, I'd be very nervous about the bye week here, about getting a little lethargic, um, just falling off the schedule, losing your cadence throughout the week of film study, lifting, practice, etc., so actually this year, I do like it. Normally I'm anti, but like I said, this year with what happened last year, I am pro. You just talked me into it because I was going to say I'm very anti this timing, but you're right. That's just an extra week for them to stew and to like to, to watch tape of what happened last year, to watch tape of Kenneth Walker just escaping tackles. So I, I do think you're right that it sets up a little better this year. But normally, just very much, I do not want my – I want us to be in a groove when we go into a rivalry game. And this is the one that everyone has circled on their calendar because this is – it should be a must win every year. Like they should only be getting us one in every four years. That has not been the case. Mel Tucker has, uh, he doesn't have Jim Harbaugh's number. Everyone needs to calm down. The COVID year doesn't even count. Uh, but last year was a deflating loss. Um, and Michigan state, a team that just kind of rebuilt on the fly. They changed their identity. He's a defensive minded coach, but yet their offense uh, has been their calling card. And you and I mentioned in some previous pods, we have no idea what to think about this Michigan State team this year. They're such a puzzle in the Big Ten. And the, the only team I really can't like get a good feel for, I've been diving through the dirt sheets online, trying to like, get the hearsay from practice, but it's just more of the same. Like You could talk me into 10 and 2, you could talk me into 8 and 4, but I can guarantee you that they're going to come into the big house ready for a fight. Um, not as good as their 2015 team, not nearly like that, but I anticipate like a rock fight like 2017 minus the monsoon though. Yeah, I'm with you. It's uh, not quite as talented of a team, but they do bring back quite a few guys. They hit the transfer transfer portal really hard again. Peyton Thorne's back. He set a school record 27 touchdown passes a year ago, 10 interceptions. He's pretty efficient. Um, <clears throat> I mean, this is just like the kind of quarterback that they produce. He's not like super wow highlighted, but neither was Kirk Cousins. So Peyton Thorne could be pretty good for him. Jaden Reed's back. He went over a thousand yards last year. He's a problem. DJ Turner and him is going to be a battle excited for that. Um, but upon rewatch, uh, something that really pops about this game, Kenneth Walker was special. He's not there anymore. Like you don't get better at that position with him being out of the building. That's what I wanted to touch on. Like when you watch this game, it's not like their offensive line was dominating. It was really Kenneth Walker just being an absolute star last year. And I think that helped a lot of different things on this offense tick. So if you could get him going, then you could set up uh, Peyton, uh, Peyton Thorne to throw the ball, give him some space to like make things happen and set that school record. Same thing with Jaden Reed. You had Naylor there last year on the other side, flanking him to give him more options. So you lose those two players. So now you have more weight resting on those two as well as these incoming transfers. But I can guarantee you one thing, there is no Kenneth Walker among the transfers. No, they went and got Jalen Berger, who was supposed to be the next guy at Wisconsin. Pretty sure he was a four-star. And then Jarek Broussard out of Colorado. Uh, he was Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year in 2021. Uh, 2020. Like, that's a big pickup. So, I mean, this is two really good backs. Um, but it is not, there's no Kenneth Walker among them. It's, it's more like having, uh, two guys trying to spell that and, uh, yeah, kind of like a piecemeal offensive line. They've got JD Duplain and their center are back. Um, so I think that's, uh, the left guard in the center. They feel pretty good about 
but it's guys with like some experience at all five positions, but like they've also had some injury concerns there. And uh, like one on one, nobody really stands out as like an elite offensive lineman, just kind of like an okay group. They were 50th in red zone offense um, and a lot like the only reason that they were that high was was Kenneth Walker. So um, it's it's an offense that probably outperformed their talent level last year. One reason I won't count out their offensive line yet, although it is that piecemeal uh, way you described it, is last year Mel Tucker did a very strange thing. I've never seen it before, honestly. It's probably happened, though, of substituting offensive linemen, like mass substitutions, like deploying units would pull out four guys, put four in, pull out five guys, put five in. It was very, very strange. So although they're not bringing up starters, they might be able to pull off that finesse last year and mix and match and do it again or last year could be an outlier where that's not sustainable. And then this year they regress back towards the mean. Yeah. I don't know if they were doing that out of necessity too, because uh, they need those guys to play a lot this year, but they've hit the transfer portal really hard on both sides of the ball again. So it's just like a lot of new names. So it's really hard to like, like we were saying, it's hard to just get a peg on what they're going to be um, on defense though. Um, well, I did want to say one more thing before we move to their defense. Uh, September 17th is week three. They're at Washington and Washington, a bit of a dumpster fire last year. But like as far as personnel, we're going to figure out a lot because of how they're going to match up against Washington. Those are quality, quality linemen over there. So I think that we'll know a lot more after that. Yeah, and they get Ohio State before Michigan, and they really need to have a better showing against the Buckeyes this season. Otherwise, uh, Tuck Cummins might slow down a little bit. Yeah, they also have to go to Maryland and Wisconsin comes in. So, like, their schedule's a lot harder than last year, too. Uh, it eases up a little bit after Michigan, but then they finish the season at Penn State. So uh, it's going to be tough for them to do as well as they did last year. Um, but last year, man, that defense, whew, 54th scoring D in the nation. They were dead last, 130th in passing yards allowed. Uh, they faced three of the top five passing attacks in the country last year. So, I mean, you get a little bit of a reprieve. Um, but at the same time, this was just a an abysmal, an abysmal passing defense. And, like, you could also convince me it could have been a lot worse. I mean, the going up against those great offenses gives them some leeway. But there's a world where this was also, like, even worse because they weren't great at like getting into the backfield necessarily either, even though uh, they did lead the big 10 in sacks. It just didn't really seem like they had super impactful guys. It was a very weird unit because they led the big 10 in sacks, but they were also 11th in the big 10 in third down defense. A lot of the production came from Panashuk who is gone after 10 years there. They do bring back Slade in the middle, who is a problem. They lose crouch, but Cal Halliday is still a guy in the front seven. So I think they're going to be salty up front. Those top that front seven will be tough and formidable to slowing down the run. But if Michigan can open up the ball, I don't care if they have a transfer from Georgia in the secondary. This secondary was so out of sorts last year. It wasn't just talent. It was schematics. It was a lot of different things that like really played into their downfall there. So I, I think they will improve. You, I mean, you can't get worse than 130 and dead last in the country, so they will be better. But how much better they can be is still yet to be seen. Man, this is a huge Matt Weiss game, too, because you're absolutely right. The way to beat this team is going to be through the air. We have by far like some of the best receivers they're going to see. I mean, it, it's us in Ohio State right up there at the top. This is as good as there is in the nation as far as a wide receiver unit. You got to deploy them. 
against this 130th ranked passing defense. You mentioned uh, they do have the 6'3 cha- transfer coming over from Georgia, who I think is going to be good, and they will be better in the secondary. Like they, they don't have to face necessarily the gauntlet of passing offenses. They'll be improved, but like even if they improve – 50 spots you know like they're still going to be a really bad passing defense and i do expect them to improve 50 spots but that's going to put them at what like 70th in the nation 80th in the nation 80th yeah 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 yeah. they improve 50 yeah like that's not great so even huge improvement is not going to be great like yeah we need to attack this team through the air and like I this is why for this game I I really think that JJ McCarthy has to be around or at least be throwing some deep balls because of his ability to test this secondary. I think so as well. And again, it's such a benefit this year having Michigan State play Ohio State before we face them so we can see the way the Buckeyes attack them, how Michigan State tries to counter the most prolific passing attack in the country. So we'll really get to see a blueprint about how to attack them this year, which would have been greatly beneficial last year having if they had played them first. Yeah, so you like that they're playing Ohio State first. I was kind of indifferent about it. Part of me wanted us to be the first challenge so we could be like, hey, here's what it's like when you level up. Uh, But yeah, it is going to be nice to see, like, how do you attack them through the air? And you're totally right. Like, they've got to put up a better showing. Like, the the Mel Tucker love is at an all-time high. I get it. They're very excited. But, like, if he just gets boat raced by them and then just turns right around and, and Michigan's able to pass all over him, like, I think people start to cool off a little bit on that. I think so as well. And so it's a very big year for him to really stay out of Brady Hoke territory because it kind of feels like that right now where you beat one rival, lose to the other pretty poorly, but you still win 11 games and your bowl game. So yeah, you've got to avoid the Hoke zone, man. Once you're in there, it's tough to get out. Man, we're throwing some serious shade in this podcast. We have both compared a current Big Ten coach to Brady Hoke, me, James Franklin, and now you, Mel Tucker. Uh, Yeah, apparently we're here for the smoke against the Big Ten coaches, except Brett Bielma. Uh, Wherever you're at, uh, you can you can grill my ribs any day. (laughs) (laughs) And that is a reference to the barbecue pit. Nothing else. (laughs) Yeah, no, I literally mean like I want him. I want him on the grill. That's all I mean with that. Um, <laughs> I mean, he went into Happy Valley and got a win last year. You, you're not a grill master and don't do that. That's what I'm saying, man. He might be able to build something at Illinois. Um, so <laughs> what are, any other thoughts about, about this? I mean, this is the game we chose it. We circled it on our calendar. We said we have to be there. This is the game that's going to have the most importance at Michigan by far since uh, the Ohio State game is on the road. So as far as big games in Ann Arbor, nothing really even as close to this, like Penn state's number two, but it's like, Oh, it's pretty far down the list. Yeah. It's, it's this game in Sharpie. Like it has to be this one tattoo it, paint it. Like this is the game at the big house this season. And uh, for the game, I think a lot of it is going to come down to whoever the quarterback is for a key player. We got to be able to spread the ball around. Having Ronnie Bell back is massive. Cannot understate that. Andrew Anthony will be looking to capitalize and expand upon what he did last year against his hometown team being from Lansing. And defensively, I think it's a big junior Colson game. I think you have to take away the running from them and really make it Peyton Thorne because when Michigan State is unable to run the ball, they are anemic with it they did not give i believe they gave kenneth walker like six touches against ohio state and they possessed 
and they possessed the ball for only 22 minutes. So you take away the running game there. I think everything else collapses around him. Yeah, Kenneth Walker probably should have been up there as a Heisman candidate, but six carries against Ohio State didn't really give him a chance. Now, that's absolutely brutal. I agree with a lot of what you said. Ronnie Bell's going to be huge in this game. He's got to be one of your players of the game. Uh, Give me A.J. Henning. Like, I'm just starting to buy that he's going to be a big part of this offense. And I think that there's like some interesting ways that they can attack with him. Colson's a good one on defense, but I'm not going to overcomplicate it. Uh, DJ Turner one-on-one against uh, Jaden Reed is going to be must-see TV. So if, if they can become one-dimensional and Turner it just makes Reed a non-factor, then it's like, all right, well, now we have to try and get a run game going. And, and it's like, well, that's going to be difficult against Mozzie Smith and, and Junior Colson coming downhill with um, something. I mean, this will be talked about next week, but Mozzie Smith with Junior Colson behind him, like the, the space Mozzie Smith's going to open up for Colson to be like going downhill against these running backs. So um, these are good running backs, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if they're able to have some success on the ground. But if we can take Jaden Reed out of the equation, I I like what you're saying. Junior Colson having a big game. So, yeah, I'll say Turner for me. Uh, How do you see the spread on this one? Spread is going to be tight since it's at home. I do like that for Michigan and giving them a little over the edge is the revenge factor. So I'm going to go Michigan by three and a half. I have it the exact same, three and a half. No notes. Uh, I, I think that's pretty spot on. And being a rivalry game, it's not going to get too big unless Michigan State just falls off a cliff or somehow Michigan falls off a cliff. But that's that's going to require some uh, some pretty, pretty exponential uh, craziness for that to happen. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's the biggest, biggest game of the year. Some might argue I still think it's Ohio State, but this one is really close. Like, we got to shut these creeps up. Got to have it this year. And uh, we're going to party. We're going to party after that victory. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. We'll be in Ann Arbor. Please hit us up online. We'll be talking about it all that week on the podcast. All those two weeks on the podcast leading up to it. So going to be a great weekend, man. I can't wait to be there in person. And hope, I mean, kind of hopefully we see a good game. But if we continue our streak of seeing blowouts together, I wouldn't be mad about that either. That's true. Every time we've gone together, Michigan has blown out the opponent. So I'd be fine with 47 to seven. That'd be a lot of fun. All right. Just, just beat him down 63 to three. Don't let him cross midfield. I'm totally fine with that. I don't care. Um, All right. Uh, After Michigan state, November 5th, kind of ending uh, with a thud here on this as far as the run of teams, but Rutgers is much approved and November 5th, it's Michigan traveling to New Jersey. Uh, I guess there could be like a little bit of an emotional hangover from Michigan state. I'm not too worried about that. Uh, I know Greg Schiano is kind of returning this team to relevance, but they just don't have the horses, um, especially up front. How do you, how do you feel about this Rutgers matchup? Uh, it's going to be a very lethargic game coming off the emotion of Michigan State and what it means. I think they'll have some momentum coming back as well. I think this will be the uh, largest victory of the Greg, against Greg Giano in, this, in his second term here. Remember two years ago it took triple overtime and some luck to beat them in Biscataway. And then last year Michigan only beat them by a touchdown. So I think although they're still coming uh, off this emotional high horse, they're going to be prepared for what Rutgers is going to do to them. They're not going to be looking ahead to Rutgers the following or Wisconsin the following week like they were last year. So I think they'll be prepared and locked in and more uh, and just more focused on what Shiana's trying to do against them. 
Yeah, I mean, I'd like to say, you know, don't overlook this team again because of how close it's been in the past. The triple overtime game you mentioned last year was an absolute rock fight. Um, Tough to go back and rewatch that one. But they have 16 projected starters, 10 of them on offense, six of them on defense are either freshmen, true freshmen or transfers. So they have completely overhauled this team. 10 on offense is crazy. 10 new starters. There's only 11. So I, I just can't see a world where Rutgers is coming out like hair on fire, lighting it up like this is going to be a super green team. Um, so they improved from three wins in 2020 to five in 2021. They had that weird deal where Texas A&M got COVID and they actually got into a bowl game. Uh, they found their their starting quarterback. They got a four star to go there. Gavin Wimsat, which doesn't sound like the name of a winner to me, but that's I, I'm not a college coach or recruiter. So they were 120th in total in scoring offense last year. They're hoping this kid can take them to the next level. Um, you know, he'll be one of the many, many first time starters um, out there for the Scarlet Knights. They do at least bring back Aaron Crookshanks. I think it can't be like understated the importance of losing Isaiah Pacheco, who is just showing out at Kansas city chiefs camp right now. So they will be really desperate on the edges for like some playmaking consistently. Uh, Noah Vedral appears. He's lost his starting job at quarterback with, uh, with your boy coming in there. He and his uh, less than strong name. So going to take over the helm for Shiano and this team. And I really think they're just going to struggle to put up enough points to beat a couple uh, several teams in the big 10 this year. Yeah, they might be feisty on defense, but that offense, man, that is rough. I'm assuming Aaron Crookshank is the 11th out of uh, the 11, the only one returning starter. So getting him back is nice. He's got a Harry Potter-ass name, but he's actually really solid for him. But that's about all there is to mention. Uh, And on defense, uh, I mean, oh, their offensive line, I also wanted to mention, they signed seven high school linemen in the 2022 cycle and then went and got four transfers on the offensive line. That's 11 linemen they brought in. What? What? That is absurd. Have you ever heard of anything like that? I don't. That is baffling to me, man. I did not know that. So I was a little higher on them in the offseason, but that's that definitely makes me a little more hesitant in my prediction. So, man, that is. You talk about like rebuild from the ground up. This is like a tank job almost at, at offense and hoping these 18 and 19 year olds can develop. It's going to be so brutal. Mozzie Smith against whoever they put at center, like their center is going to weigh like 235 pounds and Mozzie Smith's going to pick him up and throw him 25 yards. Like it's going to be ugly. I think I, I was kind of with you where I was like, Oh yeah. Like, you know, Rutgers, I saw something last year. They kept it close. Shiano, you know, a little bit of that energy. But then when I started to dive into him, I'm like, Oh no, no, no. They're taking a step back. Yeah, It definitely feels like a reset year. So maybe Rutgers will like, I feel like they're going to bottom out this season and then start to build back. They will be stingy on defense, so that will be a thing. They did a really good job after uh, in the second half last year against Michigan and taking away the running game. But again, I think that was also Michigan looking ahead and not just putting the, the boot to the throat here to finish things, and I do not think that's going to happen another year in a row. No, I don't think so as well. This will be a hard uh, spread to set, though, because of just you know the weirdness of last year and – it's going to be hard to predict. I mean, Rutgers could be really, really bad. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. What do you got for key players, though, first? 
Um, key players, I think the offensive line needs to have a better game than they did last year. Like They made a statement on the first drive last season by running the ball every play all the way down the field. We thought it was going to be a wash, but there was just it very it faded quickly when the offensive line seemed a little bit disinterested. So I'm going to go with Olu Oluwatimi inside, leading the way at the center position and just paving running lanes for the whole 60 minutes. And on defense, I think it's going to have to be a big game on the edges for the safety. So I'm going to go with like the RJ Moten Rod Moore tandem because last year uh, Ruggers exposed a flaw in this defense early on that Michigan corrected of the quick hitting passes, just little quick hitters, little dump offs, everything in the flat, very fast. And that's what they did last year to move the ball and keep things alive. So I think it's going to be up to the safeties to really take those away, be aggressive at the line of scrimmage and jam up those receivers and backs. That was Awesome analyses there, sir. Well done. Yeah, uh, the Rutgers game, you're absolutely right. Like, they were able to move the ball on us, and they were doing it, as you said, quick hitters, like quick hitters out to the hash, quick hitters, like, across the middle of the field. So uh, it was something that we did need to correct. So they are pretty tricky and could I could see RJ Moten, could see Rod Moore, big game for them. I'll go Trevor Keegan, totally agree with you. Offensive line has to be better. Uh, just to mix it up, though, I'll go Nikai Hill-Green. Uh, at the linebacker position he does not yeah he does not have the best tape last year and did not play that well against Rutgers in particular so much like uh, the safeties in the corners who didn't have the best showing I think Nikai Hill Green has a chance for a redemption story here Uh, as far as spread how do you see this one this is a little bit tricky this is tough. I do think this team is going to play hard. I am a, a big Chiano believer. I love what he does with the program. And I think he will build them back up to just consistent relevance of, you know, fighting for a ceiling of eight wins, but not losing any less than five. Like just being respectable year in and year out. So I'm going to go uh, higher spread, but not too high because I don't want to be disrespectful towards what he does with the program. So I'm going to say 18. Wow, man, you see things the way I see it. I had it at 17. Uh, Let's just go 17 and a half, split our differences. I was going to think right around those same lines. It's like, it's not going to be great. I look at the personnel that they're going to be trotting out there, particularly on offense. It's going to be really hard for them to put together several sustained scoring drives. Um, But I also don't see us just going crazy and putting up 50. So something like... 28 to, to six or something like that, you know, probably in that range could, could very well be the case. So, yeah, I mean, we both respect what Shiano does there. It's, it's just, it's an uphill battle for a program like that. And then especially with like USC and UCLA joining the conference, nobody had to hate that more than Rutgers. You're like, are you, are you serious? I, th- I think a few teams might like Tom Allen at Indiana is just like, Oh, Oh brother, please yeah. make, make it stop. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that's rough for them too. But like in New Jersey, it's also like we gotta fly to where? Like that's a long yeah, plane ride too. God, so it's it's interesting. It at least with Shiano though, you know the program is like they're gonna be formidable. And again, with the hangover factor, I see the score similarly to you in the around like the, the 34 to 10 zone. Nothing crazy. So both of us see it as one loss this point in the season. Is that correct? Yes, we both picked Iowa as the loss, right? Yep, yep. I see us getting through this stretch. Uh, I still think Michigan State will be the toughest part of this stretch, even though it's at Michigan. God willing, it'll be a noon kickoff, and they don't try and get clever or creative or anything. 
uh, that's still the the challenge. But we get past that, I think, yeah, Iowa and and Michigan State are, are really the ones you got to have circled early on here. Yeah, absolutely. If they get through Iowa, I'm going to feel really good about Michigan being undefeated up until this point, too. Yeah, yeah, me too. And then uh, then it's going to get a little wild on the podcast. I'm going to start saying some things. I'm going to start believing some things. I'm going to start vandalizing some things. Nothing super important, but I'm going to need to break something. <laughs> you're going to find me tearing things up at a local Fuddruckers is what you're going to see. Like, no, I'm not going to leave. I got I, I got 2021 Michigan-Maryland highlights on. You're going to take this tape off? <laughs> I want my 16th mudslide at Applebee's, and yeah, I'm grinding some tape on Purdue right now. I want to see what it might look like in a potential Big Ten matchup. Leave me be. <laughs> I got to understand what Jeff, what the Brom's doing over there. I need to know what's going down. So, no, We're 6-0. It's, oh, it, it's really exciting. <laughs> it's really exciting, though, because you and I always talk about how mediocrity and the parody of a season is really great for content. But these last two seasons, it's been nice to have the subtle ups and downs like Michigan State last year. But nothing is greater than being on top. Man, we, we said it to off air and it's worth mentioning on air how nice it is to be covering this team that has like a culture in place, has continuity, has like. I mean, you're hearing all the right things. You're hearing Harbaugh saying, like, we're way ahead of where we've been in the past. Like, they didn't have people transfer out. There was, they lost nobody to the transfer portal. That's unheard of from an entire recruiting class. Like, that doesn't happen. So, like, it has just been really nice to cover this team. And, like, it's so much easier to project what they might be because we know who the players are. We've been with them this whole time. And, like, it's, it's really easy to get behind this team. And I think that reflects in how we see this season up to this point. So, gun to your head, last question on the Michigan-Michigan State game. If you had to pick a game it's more similar to, would you go 2018, Michigan 21-7, to or 2019, when Michigan won 44-10? to Ooh. I, I mean, I do, here's the thing. Like, I don't really respect their defense that much, and last year was a shootout, so it's probably the latter. Like, there's a very good chance we, we blow them out. Um, and if not, it's going to be a close game. That's also high scoring, I think, like because they're, they're, they're based on their offense. Like I'm not buying crazy, huge defensive improvements to the point where they're going to be some sort of stalwart. So, yeah, give give me the over. Give me the high scorer. How do you see it? I'm the same way. I think uh, um, if it's going to be that way, it'll be just like last year. Really high scoring, really tight. I, I just don't see it being the defensive they're only held to 94 yards of offense type of game. You know, it's going to be explosive. It's going to be a lot to a lot to absorb as it was last year. So um, let's just pray it's nothing like last year. I stressed so hard I gave myself a hemorrhoid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ideally uh, it will be nothing like that. Yeah, so uh, here's to hoping. Here's to hoping. But uh, that's going to do it for us here. Thanks for stopping by. Make sure that you like, share, subscribe. Uh, give us a positive review if you can. That would be awesome. You can follow us on Twitter at Mason Brew. I'm Jared. That's Andy. This is Out of the Blue. We'd like to remind you that wherever you go, go blue.